Are you trying to find the perfect distribution platform to get your music on Spotify and Apple? I personally use and love DistroKid. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash DistroKid to get a small discount and get access to a platform with unlimited uploads for a yearly fee. Happy uploading and enjoy the show. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I am your host, DK, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Lou Skywalker. You know what? I'll take it. That's that's first and it's smooth. There you go. And uh, I think I stole that from a comment on YouTube, so that that was not an original (laughs) idea. Uh, Thank you for whoever submitted that one. And uh, we're going to get into this episode today. Today, we're going to dedicate to reading the manual... And we're going to talk about one of the most used compressors, one of the oldest ones, one of the most popular ones. Um, this design has been the basis for many clones, as well as the technology that was made for it has been done over and over again, reused and reintroduced back into the market so many times. I think it's a good idea to talk about this and all of the revisions that it's gone through is the classic 1176 peak limiter Ooh. so before we get into it lou mm-hmm. um what do you like to use the 1176 for and what versions both digital in general have you liked using or do you typically use I, all the time? i really like it for mastering and getting like that like really 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 no i'm just kidding it's not the greatest for that say, i was gonna say what <laughs> No, honestly, uh, I like it more for like snares, vocals, things of that nature. Uh, vocals are really easy to tighten up with the 1176, which is really nice. Um, but honestly speaking, like more like snares and things that I want to crush in parallel. Like it's a really, really good parallel compressor. Yeah, 1176 are often used for vocals, obviously, drums, bass, guitars, and many other things. The only thing that I can think of that's not the best idea to record through an 1176 is like saxophone and horns in general. Mm. It's a little bit too fast for that sort of stuff. I mean, you can get away with it, but in my experience, I would rather take an LA-2A for that sort of like a smoother, slower thing. But anyway, um, really versatile, really great, really fast compressors. We're going to briefly talk about the history, and then we're going to talk about our personal experiences as well. I know a little bit about the revisions and the history. Um, So I'm going to be learning a lot about all the different revisions and what they did and what they changed, when they changed, um, and why all of the different versions are such a big deal now and what versions are on the market today and popular. So hopefully when we see other like clone clone makers like Audioscape make different versions of, or Stam Audio make the different versions of the 1176, what the different versions mean. All I know is that typically speaking, like for example, like revision A um, is a little bit dirtier and has a little bit more like low mid energy, which is like, I don't know why necessarily, but we're going to learn about that today. 
I like it though. Yeah, yeah. So we got the blue stripe, which is the revision. Any, anyway, um, we're going to get right into it. This is uh, pulling off of Wikipedia. The 1176 Peak Limiter is a dynamic range compressor designed by the American engineer Bill Putnam and introduced by Yuri in 1967, derived from the 175 and 176 tube compressors. It marked the transition from vacuum tubes to solid t- state technology, which is a big deal. It's yeah. like tubes you have to maintain. Yeah. And they're kind of slow. Like yeah. as far as like attack and release times, like there's, they're typically like, like very mu compression through yeah. tubes, like compression using tubes isn't like the fastest. Yeah. Like it's good if you're trying to get like thumpiness out of it, but sometimes you're trying to catch like fast transients, like yeah. let's say a snare smack or something of that nature. And it just seems to be like the, the rim shot keeps clipping through the compressor. It might just be that it can't react fast enough. So, you know, solid state designs being significantly faster is actually really good for that. And maintenance in general, like maintaining tubes is a bigger deal than, uh, you know, not tubes. So, uh, (laughs) so like all you have to do is just kind of just the, uh, VU meter maybe, you know, so there's less, less, um, hassle. It's just a better, well, not better it totally, but as, as far as like functionally, um, much more versatile. Yeah. Better technology in that sense. Um, yeah, and 176, sorry, the 175 and 176 compressors, I know that the UAD, they make plugins of those, and there's a few other, like, digital emulations of those. Those are cool in itself, um, and it's cool to hear that those are the predecessors for the 1176. With its distinctive tone and wide range of sounds, driving from the Class A amplifiers, its input and output transformers, the uncommonly fast attack and release times, and their program dependence, and different compression ratios and modes, the 1176 was immediately appreciated by engineers and producers and established as a studio standard throughout the years. At the time of its introduction, it was the first true peak limiter with the solid-state circuitry, which is a big deal. I mean, going from solid tube to solid-state. Okay, uh, the 1176 LN was inducted into the Technology Hall of Fame in 2008. Okay, so let's go into, I'm going to go read the paragraph about designs. There's a couple other articles that I want to read as well, including um, from another few other websites. But let's go into the design here. The 1176 uses a field effect transistor, FET, to obtain gain reduction arranged in a feedback configuration uh, compared to a feedforward configuration, as it is the predecessor Oh, as its predecessor, the 1176 utilizes soft knee compression and fixed threshold. I didn't realize it was soft knee. That's interesting. Compression amount is controlled through the input control. The compression character is handled by a tag release times and four selectable compression ratios. The release time is program dependent. Didn't know that either. It is quicker after transients to obtain a more consistent level, but it slows down after sustained and heavy compression to reduce pumping effects. The threshold is set higher on higher ratios. I did not know that part. The threshold the bit? Yeah. Um, somebody told me that different versions had a different knee, so I wouldn't doubt the soft knee thing, but I did not know about its response to the information. That's super interesting. I mean, we all know that the 1176 doesn't have a threshold. Like, yeah. a lot of compressors like the LA-2A. It. Yeah. yeah. The LA-2A has, like, a threshold, you know, but... It's literally just input and output knobs, Yeah, which is kind of fun, honestly. Yeah, it's like just push into it, and if it's too much, just dial back. Yeah. Literally, just use your ears. Yeah. So it's like the more that you compress, the more you also dirty the signal just from boosting the the signal as well, which is interesting. Yeah. 
Uh, a buddy um, of mine has uh, an 1176 with a broken VU, and his whole reasoning is like 1176s are a little too obvious when they're over compressing. So I'm I'm confident that I don't need my VU today. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> there you go. So um, 1176s are like one of my personal favorites as well. Um, and here's what it says about the design: There's four different compression ratios: four to one, eight to one, twelve to one, and twenty to one. Attack time is adjustable from. 20 microseconds to 800 microseconds. Uh, microsecond, one microsecond is one one thousandth of a millisecond. Yeah. So it's just insanely fast, super fast. Because, I mean, if you do like, for example, a classic VCA type compressor, 30 millisecond, you'll get like a full on transient of the snare. Like the yeah. full on transient of the snare and you can kill the sustain, you know, with a slow yeah. release. Um, but when it's like the slowest is 800 microseconds, which is not like, so which is, which is what? 0.8 milliseconds. Yeah. Um, like you're not getting, micro? you're not getting much, much like, you're not getting much of the, you're not getting much of the transient. No. So, which is a cool thing in itself. Cause then you hear the whole entire snare just smash. But that would make sense as to why it distorts so much because it's response is so fast that it's going to break up the sound. There you go. And and for some reason with compressors, I don't know the science behind it or why, but if you have a really fast attack and a really fast release, it breaks up even faster. So like it distorts even faster too. Um, it just is unable to handle it for some reason. Anyway, release times are adjustable from 50 milliseconds to 1,100 milliseconds. Two units can be linked for proper stereo operations, not just dual mono. Um, and I assume that's dependent on the revision as well as the the maker, the designer. You know, I'm not 100% sure on that because they did sell for a long time. It's like a, I could be wrong on the exact configuration of this, but they, I don't know if you've seen it. It's a, it's a separate option that you can buy. It's a small little box with like two ground wire prongs to it. And you actually tie the units together manually. Like it's not like a simple plug or anything. It's not a TRS or an XLR. No, it's yeah. like it's like a five hundred dollar add-on thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The bare wire ones. Yeah. Um, also, okay, so this is this is super important too. This is a famous part of the eleven seventy six is that there's an all buttons mode. Um, or the wiki, British mode. Yeah, the wiki is calling it all buttons or British mode. Have you ever heard it called the British mode? That's where the distressor gets it from. I didn't realize that. Yeah, oh, I didn't realize. Um, because the British, I mean, the distressor also has the nuke mode, right? Yeah. Isn't the, the British mode on the distressor just like consolation, like one-to-one? It's, it's more like the saturation versus exactly. the compression. Where like the 1176, it's like it's hyper-compressing. So yeah. it's, it's a different British mode from the distressor, right? But it's supposed to be recreating the distortion, supposedly. Oh, yeah. okay. The ratio buttons are designed to be mutually exclusive so that pressing one ratio buttons deselects the others. However, British engineers discovered it was possible to push all four buttons in at once, an unexpected case use case that led to unintended behavior with a substantial increase of harmonic distortion. This became known as all buttons mode or British mode, or and it's popular enough to be explicitly supported by modern clones of the 1176. You could really see this as the most historic moment of fuck around and find out yeah they literally were like what happens if we hit all buttons at yeah. the same time just some guys some just some british guys just in a studio was like you know what would be really funny what all to one i i'm i think the the wording <laughs> is funny because it says british engineers discovered and i'm like 
It yeah, how do you discover this? Yeah, yeah. Why does it have to be engineers? It could have just been like some British dudes were fucking around. Found <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah. British engineers. Yeah, bullshit. Like they're like, I, I, what I'm picturing is like a couple British dudes just sitting in front of an eleven two six. Like, hmm. So if we twist this knob here, okay, that's satisfying. One guy in the back of the room. What if we touch all the buttons at the same Put time? The you know that what dude. What happens? That dude was high on something. That dude was having the time of his life when it, it panned out and he created history. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting to find out that that was an accident, even. I just That's crazy. I didn't you, know there was an accident. If there's a way to comment as you listen to this episode, uh, definitely leave us your theory of how they found out. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Leave us the theory. I actually, there is on Spotify, they introduced a new thing where there's like, a, what did you think of this episode? Leave a comment below. Oh, hell yeah. So, Leave us your theories then, instead of comments. Yeah, and I get to read all of it and publish them all. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Anyway, leave us the comments if you're on Spotify. The way 1176 t- sounds, um, and specifically the way all button mode sounds, is partially due to being a program-dependent compressor, which I honestly didn't know it was. I didn't realize the release was program-dependent. I thought it was just set release time that was just hyper I guess it's more well. like a fine adjustment at that point. Yeah, it must be. some something. Considering the speed of it, the, uh, the fastest versus slowest, it's still very fast. So it, it, I could see it as a micro-adjustment because of that yeah the eleven seventy six will faithfully compress or limit selected ratio for transients, but the ratio will always increase a bit after the transient to what degree it is once again material dependent. This is true for any of the eleven seventy six ratio settings and is part of the eleven seventy six sound interesting I guess that's why it's feedback and not feed forward by design because then it wouldn't be could you still do this kind of workflow with a feed forward design? I have I no idea. I have no idea. But like, if it's program dependent, like it, it would make sense. That's why they chose to do feed fo- uh, feedback design. Um, the eleven seventy six. Hold on. Uh, let's let's skip forward to the revisions. Let's do that. The eleven seventy six underwent a number of revisions. One notable change in the early revisions was the addition of Brad Plunkett's circuitry, which was introduced noise by oh sorry, which reduced noise by six dBs, which is not that much, and redistributed uh, redistributed the noise spectrum. You know, I'm not gonna lie, that could be an because uh, we're thinking old technology too. What year was that? Nineteen sixty seven. Is that what I'm seeing? Yeah, like in the 60s and 70s. Like yeah, oh, the 70, 1970 for the LN version was added. Yeah, so like it, it could have been a really high noise floor. So like six decibels down could have been a significant thing at the time. Nowadays, like six decibels down, I don't hear the noise on my little tiny interfaces. Yeah, there you go. And yeah. it's just crazy how much headroom we have these days. Yeah. Um, producing even more noise reduction in the sensitive mid-range. Linearity was also increased by reducing harmonic distortion. Sad. The revisions, easily <laughs> distinguishable for their solid black face panel, were labeled 1176LN, or low noise. Revisions D and E are reputed to sound the best. Interesting, because the A is the most popular one. Well, yeah, the most expensive one. Yeah, let's, let's look at this. So, in 1967, June 20th, 1967... Um, revision A was introduced. The original design by Bill Putnam, it was brushed aluminum faceplate with a blue meter section, famous, we call it like the blue face, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the output transformer was the UA5002. Revision AB introduced November 20th, so just a couple months later, um, 100, 
1967, it looks like there was less than 100 made of those. Several resistor values, changes in signal preamp stages, improve stability and noise. Revision B, it doesn't, it says, is not indicated. It looks like they made like 800 of those. Uh, Mm. FET is, well, revision A, it looked like they only made like original revision A's. It says serial numbers 101 to 125. So that means they made out 24 only twenty four revision A's. So I could see the I could see the the reason behind the price tag for it because of that, the level of exclusivity you're buying into. Well, it doesn't say how many was made. It was just says the serial number, which we're assuming. Yeah, that's is, true. is true. That's true. But I mean, there's a lot of. It must be because the eleven ABs. That's interesting. I, I'm not and sure it was what it just is. a few months later. And if it's a new product on the market, then maybe it's not selling as hot as later years will. Revision, okay, so revision B, which it says not indicated for design date, um, serial numbers 217 to 1078, which is um, about 800 units. FETs in the signal preamp were replaced with bipolar transistors. Transistors. Uh, revision, I don't know, and it doesn't state what that means or how that changes the sound. Um, revision C, which is interesting. I've never hear clones being made of revision B. That's a revision that just kind of gets glossed over. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I don't think I've ever seen or heard of anybody using a revision B. Yeah, so it must not have been a huge groundbreaking. It just it seems like they were just more commercially available. So maybe the ones that we see that are revision A are actually revision B because mm-hmm. they got the same brushed aluminum with the blue stripe. Um, revision C, uh, January 9th, 1970, and they made about a little bit less than 200 units of that. The low noise LN circuitry was added in the signal preamp, reducing DS voltage on the gain reduction FET and keeping the FET within its linear range. The FET feedback circuit was revised to minimize distortion. Program dependency behavior was retuned. The faceplate was changed to anodized black. Okay, so revision okay. C was the first time that it was the LN circuit um, introduced in 1970, and they only made a couple hundred units of the revision C. Again, revision C, because I mean, if I'm not mistaken, it's the revision A, the mm. revision D, and the revision F or G that's usually the most cloned. Uh, G and F, usually not E. Yeah, so yeah. it's usually A, D, F, or G. Yeah. A, D, F, or G are like the most cloned, right? And I looked up Revision B. Uh, it looks just like a blue face. Yeah, they, just yeah, that's, like yeah it. because they yeah. didn't introduce the black. The black. Um, yeah, so there's probably a lot of blue faces we see in the world that are actually Revision B, but um, we just don't recognize so them as Revision B because nobody calls it that. They call it the blue face. So there's probably a couple like there's probably like this nice little community of like blue facers that just like oh yeah I got a blue face is like A or B. Yeah, people yeah. snobby about it. It's um, like, oh, you got the AB? Oh, <laughs> you middleman. Okay, and then now we're going into revision D. Again, it says design date is not indicated. And they made about, oh, a little over 1,000 units. So serial numbers, um, 1,239 to 2,331. This revision had no circuit changes, but the additional low noise circuitry was incorporated into a new main circuit board. Yuri branded was added to the original Universal Audio branding. So Yuri started, the, the brand Yuri on the faceplate was added in revision D, which is the most popular, uh, one of the most popular designs to date. Revision E, uh, a design date is not indicated. Serial numbers 2,332 to 
2,611, so a little bit less than 300 units. New power transformer, now switchable between 110 volts and 220 volts. So now it's um, the power transformer is now international with different power standards. Revision F, March 15th, 1973. Oh my goodness. So between revision C and revision F, they probably made a revision every single year because it's only been three years since revision C to revision F. Um, The output, okay, so the serial numbers are 2,612 to 7,052. So that is 4,500 units, about 4,500 different units, if my math is correct there. Um, And... The output amplifier was changed from class A to push-pull class AB designed based on the 1109 preamplifier providing more output drive. The output transformer was changed to the B11148 type. I have no idea what that means. Already used in the LA3A, the URI LA3A. Metering circuit now uses an op amp. Okay. That which doesn't matter. Metering, metering circuit doesn't change too much. So um, a revision F is highly mass produced at this point um change from class a design to a b design um and it's the same output transformer as the la3a revision g uh, again not indicated they only made about 600 units of those the input transformer was removed and replaced with a differential differential Amplifier program dependency behavior was removed. Oh, so revision G, the program dependency behavior was removed. So in the more modern, in that unit specifically, which there's only 600 units of, program dependency was removed. Revision H, um, which they made about 400, a little bit less than 400 units. Oh, and on. Oh, wait a second. It says 7,652 to 8,000 plus. So I don't know. It says, so uh, over 600 units, over 400 units. The faceplate was changed to the original silver faceplate and included a red off button, the only version with a blue Yuri logo without universal audio branding. Yeah. That's revision H. So there's an off button, which is actually pretty nice to have. You can't bypass an 1176 unless it's a plug-in. That's interesting to hear about that sort of stuff. One Uh, thing I've been doing in the background is just looking up their market values behind each and like their associated uh, uh, price point. So if the only difference between a G and an H is the off button uh, and not necessarily anything specifically in the circuit, we're talking about a close to $4,000 price tag difference. How do you mean? Uh, So the average revision G sells for around like seven grand. Oh, well, revision H sells for around like two to three because it's unfortunately seen as the ugly 1176. It's it's the most standout in design. But it's, um, it's, there's no blue stripe on it. It's just uh, aluminum it's, silver. Yeah. It's just silver. Yeah. yeah. So if that's claiming that there's no mechanical difference outside of like the off switch, which there could which be, which is like, like a better mechanical difference. Yeah, exactly. So I'm curious to like hear one to one comparisons between the two units and really see if there's a $4,000 difference. So apparently there's no, yeah, other than the off button, there's no. Yeah. And the revision G is the first one to go non-program, right? Yeah. Revision G is non-program. Okay. So that makes sense in the price point because revision F and E are significantly cheaper than revision G, even though they're older units with less production. Mm. Um, maybe because it's the tail end of, uh, of the program units, but revision G is the first of the modern 1176 sound. Yeah. 
That's that's interesting. And then we're going to go into the reissues um, created by Universal Audio. So Bill Putnam, as far as I understand, Universal Audio was taken over by uh, Bill Putnam's son, um, Bill Putnam Jr., as well as his brother. Oh, my gosh. I've lost his name. I was like Jimmy Putnam or something like that. I Fallon. apologize. I apologize. But um, anyway, the reissues. So it says uh, serial numbers 101 to 1959, reproduction based on CD and E revisions, most resembling the E model due to the use of the switchable power transformer. Um, They also made serial numbers 1,960 to 2,946, so way more mass-produced. Input attenuator and transformer changed since the original Precision Electronics T-pad attenuator and the 012 Magnetica transformer became unavailable. So parts became unavailable, Good so they do. And then there's the current, uh, which is serial numbers two thousand nine hundred and forty-seven and to present to present, whichever whatever number that is. Productions were resumed with the T pad attenuators and the zero twelve Magnetica input transformers. So those those were reintroduced again. So they are back to the true true to form. Uh, e closest to E revision, and then there's my personal favorite, which is the revision AE designed in 2008, June 4, 2008, and they only made 500 units, serial numbers one to 500. The anniversary edition limited to 500 units worldwide, and resembling the first revisions with a black faceplate and a blue painted stripe. Mm. Um, introduced a more moderate compression compression ratio of two to one and a slow option 10 millisecond attack and reintroduced the revision A program dependency. Mm. That's cool. That's my favorite. So like even in the 1176 bundle in UAD, yeah. revision AE was the one that I used the most as well. I like the tone that it gave and I love the two to one. I love the slow option and I love the black faceplate with the blue stripe. I think it looks the coolest. You know, I, I'd seen it before. And I always wondered why, as a reissue, it was worth five grand. But being that they brought back an old design to it makes sense. It's kind of like when they re-released the 175 and 176 under Vintage King. Um, they sound great, but they're expensive as hell. But like the work to put that back in is probably uniquely different, considering that they just stopped doing it for decades. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And like the manufacturers of these transformers have probably gotten better at mass producing these transformers. So, yeah. so like they're better wound. Yeah. You know, like yeah. they're better wound with higher quality materials probably since like 40, no, hold on, 60 years ago plus. So it's like, yeah, of course, this is yeah, probably machining has come a long way. So, like, it's kind of crazy that. When people say, oh, the reason the prices are high is because it takes a lot of work to make them. Sometimes you just got that good of a product. I'm just saying like the the cost of manufacturing has gone down, but the prices of these units are still pretty up there. But it seems very worth it when you consider like how much work really goes into it. Like you're you're almost paying for like the thank you for doing all the labor for me. <laughs> yeah. The the eleven seventy six is also um the most easy clone. Like, I mean it's so it's everywhere. There, there's not yeah. a plug in company that doesn't have some form of eleven seventy six clone, just like the LA two A. Um Universal Audio has great selection as well. And each one of those different versions sounds slightly different. Um, I mean, there's the CLA 76 from Waves, yeah. Plug-in Alliance, Purple, the Purple Audio MC MC7 76 yeah. or whatever it is. Um, that's my favorite clone. I For some yeah. reason, it's like pretty dirty. I don't know the story. Maybe I could look it up. I like it for vocals and actually I used it quite a bit for a while for like parallel bass. MC77, like sorry. Purple yeah. Audio MC77. Yeah. 
Um, like I used it definitely a lot for bass and it just did something really nice to the mids where like it made them push forward. So it was really easy to like get basses to stand out. Yeah, they're they're awesome. I love the sound of the Purple Audio ones. And I found a brief history of it. The MC-77 recreates the audio circuitry of the Revision E, again, like one of the mm. most popular yeah. recreations. Um, starting in 1997, Purple started making the MC-76 and 1176 type compressor based on the D and E versions of the unit. Um, at the time, the 1176 was not available from any manufacturer. So, oh, they just filled a hole in the market. Mm -hmm. Because during when it released, there was nobody, even UA wasn't making them. So they just made it available. Coming from a repair background, it was clear. Coming from the repair background, it was clear. It was a clear, a better built. Wait, what? Coming from the repair background, it was clear, a better built, more roadworthy unit could be sold could be built and sold for new for less than 20 plus year old units that were coming through the shop. Okay. So it's the repairmen's that were building these. So that's cool. Um, I like that plug in Alliance, the 1176, the MC 77 or MC76 or whatever it is from plug in Alliance sounds fantastic. I think it's awesome. Um, I like using 1176s for, you said snares. Mm-hmm. Like fast transient stuff. Yeah, just yeah. some general bass is great too. For guitars is nice. Guitars, oh, guitars is very famous. It's used famously for guitars and vocals, right? Yeah. Like the Revision A CLA is famous for using, Chris Lord Algae, the mixer, is, is famous for using the Blue Stripe Revision A of the 1176 mm -hmm. um, on Specifically, vocals. Specifically, yeah. And it's really good for like rappers too, like yeah. fast vocals. If it's, it's, it's okay for like, uh, ballads where it's a lot of like footballs or like long sustained notes, mm -hmm. but it performs especially well for like fast vocals. Like if you do a rap song with the super fast release and the fast attack, it, it'll, it'll really put the vocals right into the pocket there. Yeah. But it's also dangerous cause you can way overdo it. <laughs> yeah. But that's, uh, that's honestly kind of the reason I liked 1176 though. Like it, it sounds like a like an old person thing to say, but it's it's just a different tone. Yeah, you don't you, know you, you I mean? don't pull out an eleven seventy six to go easy with. It. Yeah, like if you want clean, just go tube tech. It doesn't sound like go anything, anything else. Yeah, but eleven seventy six. It's like I don't I don't know if I would be able to say that I'm one of the people that could like listen to a recording and being like that's an eleven seventy six. But I might be one of those guys that can listen to it and be like. It sounds like it could have possibly been an 1176 considering the way the compressor sounds. Like it just has this kind of tell where it's like aggressive but not pumpy. Yeah. Yeah. I I had um, – there's a funny moment. I, I don't know why I'm bringing this up. Maybe it's because you brought it up. But uh, I had a professor who tried to pull that trick on us mm -hmm. like the first day of recording studio class. And because all the students are new, at this point like I was already doing audio full time. Mm-hmm. While going to school, but he like showed us a song and he's like, you can tell just from listening, you could tell that the vocal was made, was recorded with the 1176 revision A at a four to one ratio with a medium release time and a fast attack time. And I was like, Shh. Wait, and what? all the students were like, what? How did you know that? Oh my gosh. And, and yeah. I was sitting there going, bullshit. Yeah. BS. You heard that. You probably recorded that and did that settings yourself. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's a cool party trick to do. And also, that was like the first time I started just distrusting audio engineers. Yeah, like it's whenever like, it's like, so you didn't use the original 1073? Oh, 
Why not? You used a recreation? Oh, wow. Oh, they aren't even the real St. Ives Transformers. <laughs> it's either St. Ives and Carnhill go together or get it out of my shop, okay? <laughs> Like there's uh, another time that I showed it. There's an asshole, a famous, a famous ass, asshole in the Los Angeles music scene. He's famous for being an asshole. Like you don't um, even have to say his name. Just people. No, who of course know I him. won't say his name. No, 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 but it's one of those like people who are listening will know who we're talking about just off a of description. Yeah, and he's <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's he's uh, an old dude that has paid his way into the music industry, uh, you know, in the last decade um, because he used to work in a non-music career and was making decent money from it. And anyway, he represents a few brands, um, all of which I'm boycotting because of him, which is really unfortunate because I like the brands that he represents. Yeah, they're they're good brands. Yeah, but he's just too much of a dick. Anyway, uh, that's another classic lying engineer story. This is getting unrelated. Sorry, Tangent. But I, it's 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 kind of an important tangent because like as many revisions of an eleven seventy six there are, you just kind of got to play with them for a bit. But there's no way you're going to tell me you heard my recording and knew exactly which revision it was. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Well, I like, showed him a mix, and he said specifically this was mixed digitally. This is mixed in the box, right? And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah, I can tell it's not analog." I kept to myself that it was hybrid, you know, (laughs) but I've been like, yeah, that's if any engineer says shit like that. I mean, for any TZO fans, one of my favorite things of like when we were basically I was at his house. We were just kind of going over some mixes and stuff like that. Um, And this is at the time when he had his previous place where he had just set up a small room. This isn't the one that he's posting of like nowadays, but it was just a small room with all of his plaques. He didn't really have like a lot going on. He was just setting it up like he had just bought his Hilo. um, uh, Like a few months later, he had switched up to the Aurora's. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So this is like just before the Aurora days. It was Hilo days. But um, we were setting up the GTP one from Aurora Audio. And I was like, oh, you didn't want to try like the BAE or and all that? He's like, no, this is fine. Like anybody that tells me that they can tell the difference between a vintage unit and a modern unit, I don't really give a shit. As long as it sounds good, it sounds good. So anybody that's after that Chris Brown vocal, just understand the... He's not overthinking it. Yeah. That's the thing too. They People think like... People that analyze hits afterwards overestimate how much thought went into making those hits. Yeah, a lot of times it's whatever was, like, there's literally a drum recording happening right now at our studio that was, like, last minute planned, so it's not like they made a shopping list of every mic that needs to be in the room. It's like, whatever we got. And, and yeah, and I think from both of us being in rooms where hits were made, like, yeah, it is no... You'd be surprised so funny, some of these like, rooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, or more importantly, like, it's so, yeah, like, overthinking how hits are made. I would say that overthinking is the reason why hits are not made. You cannot yeah. make a hit if you're overthinking and, yeah. like, you're waiting for the perfect vocal chain or the perfect whatever. Yeah. If that's that's yeah. how you keep hits from not being made. Like, if you decided to opt out of recording a record that you feel really passionate about in that moment just because you didn't have the right mic... Or you're not in the right room. You, you should have recorded it. Or you anyways. let that affect your mind at all. It's like, yeah. oh, this is not the right studio. This is not the mic that I usually use. And you like even that like one percent different of how you your mentality changes as the singer, or performer, or whatever. Yeah, that's how you lose the sauce. Like I know there's not going to be a lot of uh, 
people that know Motorhead or listen to Motorhead like I did growing up, but everything was recorded on a 57. All of the lead vocals were 57 into an 1176, no preamp in between. They just ran that shit into an 1176. There's a lot of stories like that. Yeah, where it's like, dude, if as long as it sounded good and it felt right, like that's that's all that mattered. But like nobody was overthinking the 57 in the room. Uh, Thriller is famously the SM7. Um Michael is f- known for using like C12s and ELA251s and C800s, but the SM7 is the one that recorded his major records. Yeah. Or like he's got a lot of major records, but you guys know what I mean. Yeah, in- on Thriller, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's like, it's just interesting. Again, I think the sauce, un- unrelated, again, going coming back from the tangent back to the main story, uh, overthinking is definitely killing your songs. And, yeah. and I love the idea. I just think it's funny, like in any sort of like, uh, composition analysis class, right? Or any sort of like analysis where like you're analyzing how a hit was made and why it's a hit after it was done is already, the idea of it is already way overthinking it. Yeah. Because nobody in their right mind, even Beethoven was like, this is going to be a hit. This is my best one yeah. because of this. Not nah, like the rules were made after it was released only in retrospect. Yeah. Like <laughs> anyway, um, so fuck around find out is the point. Who okay so um, British people fucking around love it. This this article is from a studio and it looks like this is just a blog here. But who uses the eleven seventy six? The eleven seventy six compressor has been used by many famous recording producers and musicians over the years. Some notable users of the eleven seventy six include every fucking person on the planet that has I ever know. touched recording <laughs> gear. No, if you have Waves plugins, you probably have an eleven seventy six. If Chris, you have Pro Tools, you have the BF76. There you go. <laughs> yeah, the Chris Lord Algae, the Grammy-winning mixing engineer, has used the 1176 on countless recordings. Uh, countless recordings, more like every single recording, including those by Green Day Muse and U2. Rick Rubin, the legendary producer, has used the 1176 on many of his recordings, including those by Johnny Cash, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Beastie Boys. I didn't realize Rick Rubin worked with Johnny Cash. Yep, that's one of my favorite ones. Is it like an old record? Yeah. Like, well, it, it's old now, but you know. Oh, it was. Cow. It was. Yeah. I didn't realize like Rick Rubin goes back that far. Uh, Nigel Goodrich, the producer and engineer known for his work with Radiohead and Beck, has used the 1176 on many of his recordings. I gotta look Jimmy, up Nigel. Jimmy Page, the Led Zeppelin guitarist, mm-hmm. reportedly used the 1176 on the band's classic recordings. Tom Petty, the late singer-songwriter, reportedly used the 1176 on many of his recordings, including "Free Fallin'" and "I Won't Back Down." David Gilmore, Pink Floyd guitarist, has used the 1176 on many of the band's recordings, including Wish You Were Here and Comfortably Numb. So, fun fact on the Red Hot Chili Peppers side, um, if you go see any of their recent shows, I don't know if, like, upcoming shows are still going to have this, but they did a tour where almost all of their live sound was analog. Like they took a bunch of 1176s, tube tech CL1Bs. They took some LA2As. They took outboard preamps and everything and ran it through an analog uh, Midas console. Mm. And that was awesome to see that Red Hot Chili Peppers was just running 1176s live. Yeah. It's like, you guys really do have a great tour budget, don't you? Yeah. I mean, his front of sound engineer is like, I don't know his name, but... And because I'm not in the, I'm not in the live sound industry, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure their live sound engineer is like one of the top dogs. Yeah, he is. Yeah, right. and he's like, he's I mean, still you getting do live sound. So yeah, yeah, he gets booked even at seventy to do like major festivals. Oh, he's an older dude. He's now. an older dude, like fully wow. gray haired. Yeah, that's cool. 
A gray beard. Mm-hmm. Gray beard. A gray beard. Right? Yeah. He's a gray beard. Actually, anyway. that's going to be a new like audio term. It's like, who's that? Oh, Who? no, it's a the fantasy term. It's a fantasy term. He's Is it? Skybeard. There's a, there's a, Skybeard? There's a group of people. It's Skyrim. Sorry. Oh. In Skyrim, there's a group of people called the Greybeards. They're the wise ones that live in the, the wise musicians that live in the mountains, and they're all greybeards. You know what? Old. I'm gonna when I get older, I'm gonna create Greybeard Studios. There you go, just an old dude, <laughs> just anyway, a old dude in the mountain. Uh, let's talk about um, 1176s in general. Where I don't want to spend too much time on the analog stuff, but it's really cool because there's a lot of companies that are making 500 series versions of the 1176. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different clones. Like if you go to Sweetwater, which by the way, spot we are sponsored by Sweetwater. If you want to buy anything, go to mixingmusicpodcast.com slash Sweetwater. And, and we get kickback if you purchase anything through our link. So like, you know, use it. If you're going to buy anything on Sweetwater, just use it. Thank yeah. you. If you're a advance. guitarist, they also make pedals that are 1176s. There you go. Which is interesting. Yeah, UA is pushing the UA effects, like the pedals really mm-hmm. hard right now. Yeah. And it's really interesting because... Those pedals, I wonder if it would be used for audio. Like it could, I mean, obviously, there's probably people out there using it for audio already. Yeah, the downside about really... like pedal use is like once you make this expense, it's it's done. But you have to buy like those like the I think it's called the box. yeah the X amp. Like I have my reamp box, and then I can just use that. Sure, but they make like 500 series units that have to send and return and use it like an insert. The radio one that's yeah. famous. Yeah, yeah, it's like the tank. I think it's called. I don't no, remember. that's for reverb. That one has yeah, the mixed dry knob. There, but there's like yeah some sort of like impedance transformer thing. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, um, my favorite 1176 like conceptual. I don't know how it sounds. I mean, I've heard that it sounds good, but I love the idea. Y'all know how I feel about like recall. And so like uh, West Audio, the NG76, as well as the West Audio Mimus. The Mimus is the 500 series mm-hmm. version, but those are both 1176 clones, but with digital recall. So nice. you plug it in via USB and it's like you can control the hardware with a plug-in. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if you save the plugin, it'll automatically recall to the settings that you left, you saved in the session. Oh, shit. That's dope. I mean, that's what I have with the Shorecraft machine with um, with Tegler. Yeah. Right? But, uh, yeah, I, I think those are probably my favorites that I've never used it, but, I mean, conceptually, it's my favorite. Also, Stam Audio, I've heard makes really, I've, I've heard really good things about the Stam Audio yeah. ones. I haven't heard the 1176s from them, but through Bob, I've heard like some of the other units, like the Poltec EQs and stuff, and they actually sound really good. So yeah. I could imagine that the 1176s are pretty on point too. And, and Hairball makes like DIY kits. So you can yeah. actually make your own 1176s if you're like down to solder, you know, take the time. You can save a buck too. I think it might be cheaper than like warm audio 1176. I it think it's like is. 600 bucks like, for the parts or yeah, something like, like that. Yeah, it's like five, 600 bucks for like a $2,000 compressor. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. But remember, you have to do the labor yourself. So if you don't already have a soldering kit, go on YouTube and then go on Amazon. Don't and, go on Amazon first. And I think like with Hairball Audio, if you want to resell it, because it takes so much time to make. They actually sell for more than what they cost to purchase. Yeah, because yeah. then you're buying like an already built version, which is yeah. more, right? And there's actually, a, uh, there's two guys that I know of in LA that specifically do that with Cappy as well. Yes, C-A-P-I, Cappy. Um, they're really, yeah, that's super awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of other DIY kind of stuff as well. Anyway, um, 1176 are really popular. I use them at almost every single mix. I definitely use 1176s on every single mix. Um, and I think that you should too. 
I don't, I'm just kind of reading through this. It's pretty straightforward otherwise. Yeah, I know that part of the revisions we didn't really talk about was functionality. For instance, I think in the AE, I think it's when they introduced the two to one ratio, right? Yeah, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, we talked yeah. about that. We did, okay. Oh, and then they brought back the program dependency release yeah. Yeah. in the AE version. Super cool. Yeah, anyway, um, go ahead and check out all the different versions. It's really interesting if you do have... Like even in the CLA version, you'll notice that the Rev A blue face, the bluey, mm -hmm. um, it's it. There's more low mids. Yeah. And then you switch back to the LN or the blacky or whatever. That's it's, it's, it sounds weird saying that out loud. Anyway, um, in the in the in the the uh, <laughs> the black version, eleven seventy six, in uh, it's it's cleaner and there's not that low mid bump. Mm -hmm. Even in the CLA version, which is not the coolest distortion one. Um, so you can hear the differences even in like the, each of the universal audio ones. So if you do have the 1176s, um, each one sounds a little bit different and changes the tone. The distortion saturation characteristics are slightly different on each different one. And if you get analog revisions or analog versions, even if it's a vintage one versus a new one, even among all the, 11, all the vintage versions, they all sound slightly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the circuitry is not exactly clone one for one. So um, it's just fun. It, go ahead and experiment all the different ones that you already have and just try them out. Yeah. And it's it's honestly just a really useful tool for very fast compression. If you are on YouTube, please make sure to subscribe and leave a comment on how you like to use the 1176. If you're on Spotify, you can also leave comments. Leave a comment on how you like to use 1176s and uh, which version you like, etc. Again, Joe, check out our sponsors at MixingMusicPodcast.com. If you like this sort of content and want two times, three times the amount of content every single week for two extra exclusive episodes, go to MixingMusicPodcast.com slash exclusive to get access to exclusive episodes of the podcast. Um, we might be expanding and offering those exclusive episodes directly on Spotify as well. Nice. I have to figure out how to exactly do that, but um, Patreon recently partnered with... Um, Spotify and is offering a service to do that. So we've been doing it third party from this point, but we might be able to do it through Spotify. But either way, uh, mixedmusicpodcast.com slash exclusive. And as well as, um, please leave a five-star review and some some nice a couple sentences of some nice words if you, you want to help us out. We want those British guy engineer theories. I would love to see that in the Spotify comments. If we get our first comment and it was a theory... I don't know. I'll do a giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> That's how excited you are about yeah. a giveaway of 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 what? I'm going to put you on the spot. All right. All right. What, I'll what give away auto-tune uh, access. Oh, for real? Yeah. I want to hear theories. So all the people that have theories of how the 1176 all buttons in were made. Yeah, you but you had to like, you had to comment like your story. I don't know if there's a character limit, but like you have to fit it into the character limit. But how are you, how are you going to find who did it? Because Spotify, I don't think you have to add put in your, your real add name. your Instagram. Oh, okay. So have your theory and then say at whatever yeah. at your Instagram. That's cool. Okay, because I'm then, sure there's a way that like we'd get an email or something of whoever commented first. That's cool. Basically, whoever just does it gets a free version, free auto tune access. Uh, auto tune access because there's not going to be that many people that comment on it anyway. So yeah. it's going to be great. All right, cool. Sounds good. Well, I'm going to make sure Lou follows up with that. Oh, yeah. On that note, thank you for so much for listening. Hopefully you, you learned a little bit here and, and are able to make better mixes. On that note, um, we like to end with happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy.
We're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode has been brought to you by Tegler Audio based out of Berlin. Tegler makes fantastic analog pieces of equipment, everything from compressors, both tube, VCA as well, from reverbs to recording channel strips to tube summing mixers and to my favorite piece that I personally own and have and use is the Schwarcraft machine, which is digitally controlled compression, 11 different types of compressor. I mean, this thing is built to the brim with tubes and transformers. It's fantastic. They have digitally controlled analog gear, which I'm a huge, huge fan of. They've got two different pieces of that. They've got 500 series gear. So whether you're a tracking engineer, a mixing engineer, or a mastering engineer, you need to check out this high quality company, Tegler. And guess what? Their prices, they're not they're not crazy. They're mid-range prices for high-end equipment. They're like a fantastic company. We love them so much. And if you want 10% off any of their gear, you can go to their website directly or from their shop directly, or I'll link it in mixingmusicpodcast.com slash Tegler, T-E-G-E-L-E-R, and use the code MMPOD to get 10% off your next order. Now back to the show. <laughs> 